guys so much. That is so kind. Thank you. I, I clearly do not deserve you. Thank you. Uh, I want to talk briefly about evangelism today. Uh, that has been a theme for this week, if you haven't caught on. Uh, circuit writers have been here. Tom Ely's been here. We've talked about it this morning. We've been talking about evangelism. I kind of uh, think President Hagen's going to do that tomorrow. So this has been a theme. Uh, and I want to say evangelism is kind of a tricky subject for us. Uh, if you're like me, you grew up in a church where evangelism was sometimes misunderstood and sometimes misused. Uh, as a Christian, I was sometimes made to feel very guilty about my, my evangelism or lack thereof. And it wasn't always approached in a positive and a healthy way. I want to say a couple things just about what evangelism is, what evangelism isn't. But the word itself actually comes from the Greek word for gospel, which is good news. And that should give us an indication of what's going on when we talk about evangelism. Because in the ancient world, how many know they didn't have internet? They didn't have radio. They didn't have TV. They didn't have newspapers. So how did you get the news? They hired people to actually stand up at a certain time of day in town and they would simply tell you what was going on in the world. Here's what's been happening in this city. There's a famine in this region. They would receive, no, they had their own networks. They would receive it. It was their job to deliver it. And if something good was going on, so let's go to Rome. Rome had their own like town criers. There had been a civil war. There were periods of civil war in Rome. When an emperor won, it meant the war was over. It meant people could stop fighting. And they would stand up and they would say, hey, folks, I have good news. Gospel. It's over. We know who the king is now. We can all go back to our homes. Everything's fine. There's peace. They weren't trying to convince you of something. They were just telling you what was going on. And when the early church tried to describe what they were doing, the language they used was the language of good news. We're just telling you what's going on. Jesus has become king. One of the greatest videos I've ever heard, or actually recordings, comes from the end of World War II, and you could try to maybe find this. Uh, there's some clips of it. It is a radio announcer in New York City who is announcing the end of World War II that Japan has just surrendered. Now, he's receiving it on air live as he's heard about it. As he records it, he's in New York. He's in a top building. The news is now going out you know, through like little banners in New York. He hears it, he says the war is over, suddenly you hear this eruption behind him, and he apologizes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, it's our newsroom, it's our newsroom, our newsroom, but, but I'm here to tell you the war is over, the war is over, and finally he says, just open the windows, open the windows. They open the windows and you hear the roar from the crowds of New York City who are outside. Because for five years we've been sending our family members to war. That announcement that the war is over means anyone that we have in our house who's about to turn of age doesn't have to go to war. It means our husbands, our fathers, our sons, they're returning home. The end of the war was good news. And when you hear the crowd of the, the cries of the crowd, that's what good news sounds like. What we do in evangelism is what? We're simply sharing the good news. This is what's happened. Here's what evangelism is not. 
Number one, evangelism is not trying to win an argument. We don't have to be confrontational. We don't have to convince. That's not what evangelism is. I've got to, yeah, I'm going to tell you right now, you could win arguments all day long and people are still not going to come closer to Christ. You can try to answer questions. People have questions. It's okay to answer them. But I've won lots of arguments and didn't bring anyone closer to Jesus. It's not winning an argument. Evangelism's also not making a sale. The gospel's not a product. Jesus isn't an object that we hand to people. That's not how salvation works. Trying to sell salvation is like trying to sell air. It's already ours. And let me tell you, you don't get commissions on converts. That's not what the Great Commission means. It's not winning an argument. It's not making a sale. It's also not about signaling virtue. It's not about trying to prove who we are or who we're not or trying to raise our own self-esteem as Christians because look at the people I've won to the Lord. Now, I'm going to say it's tempting if, if you're effective, right? It's tempting to be proud of that. I'll give you an example. When I was, when I was in sixth grade, I used to get beat up every day in sixth grade. And thank you for the sympathy. It was kind of my fault. We had a bully in my class who was just, how I many you know kids grow at different rates? And this kid had simply grown. Angel, you're probably one of them. This kid had simply grown. Grown at a much higher rate than anybody else. He was just so much bigger. He was our age, but he was so much bigger than everyone in class. And when the teacher was gone, he liked to prove it. And it was just my temperament at the time. I couldn't stand it. So every time he got up in a kid's face, I would get up in his face. I couldn't let it go every single day. And every single day, I would get hurt. I remember once, I got so angry at him because he was pushing people around that he pushed me around. He threw me to the ground. And I decided I'd had it. This was anger. This was not a Christian thing. But I had a book bag full of books. He turned his back to me. I swung that book bag as hard as I could at his head. He turned around, he knocked me to the ground again, took my book bag, and started beating me with it, which is a great lesson. Never use a weapon you can't keep a hold of, right? Here's the thing. At some point, and I don't know how it happened, he came to church with me and gave his heart to the Lord. And again, I was even thinking, when did I invite this guy? I don't even remember. We just, we just, he came to church with me, gave his heart to the Lord, completely changed who he was as a person. He became my best friend for like the next two years before his family moved on. And when we went to high school, we were both freshmen together, I didn't realize this. His older brother hated me because his younger brother had changed and didn't do the things the older brother was doing. And I didn't even know that the older brother thought it was my fault, not God's fault. And so I'm a freshman. I'm in high school. It's like my first week. His older brother, who's big like him, but he's a senior. I'm a freshman. The older brother tracks me down in the hallway. He throws me against the wall. And he says to me, if you talk to my girlfriend and convert her, I'm going to kill you. Now, there was no danger of this because the girlfriend was a senior in high school. She's not going to talk to a freshman, right? That wasn't a danger. But he walks away from this, and my first thought was, I just got threatened for sharing the gospel. Take that, the Apostle Paul. I'm 14 years old, and I'm starting to feel kind of good about myself, right? That's right, I'm a witness, I'm an apostle, I'm a martyr, right? I may be. 
Here's the thing. We can feel good about it, but let me tell you right now, that's not the point of evangelism. We don't sacrifice to make us more worthwhile to God. No amount of sacrifice is going to make God love us more. The reason we sacrifice is not because to raise our self-worth, it's to realize other people's worth. I sacrifice because of who they are, not because I feel bad about myself. It's not about signaling virtue. So what is evangelism? Evangelism is really just a profession of faith. It's not a separate profession of work. All it requires is honesty. Honesty and authenticity. Not salesmanship, not debate skills. How many of you realize that when we evangelize, when we witness, when we share our faith, we're not really doing much more than we do when we come forward here and worship? Do you realize that all worship is is honesty about God? But when I'm being honest about God to God, I call it worship. When I'm being honest about God to fellow believers, I call it testimony. But when I'm being honest about God to non-believers, I call it evangelism. The message doesn't change, it's just the audience that's changed. And if we feel comfortable coming forward in chapel and being honest about God, we can be comfortable leaving this chapel and still being honest about God. You don't have to change what you say. All you're doing is talking to someone else. But if you can be honest here, you can be honest out there. Evangelism is simply telling a story. Sometimes people need to know about Jesus. And all we can do is share the story. It's like Peter in Acts chapter 10. He's asked to go to Cornelius in his house. Peter shows up. Cornelius says to him, I want you to tell me about Jesus. And Peter says, well, here's what we know, and we're witnesses of this. Peter doesn't even get to an altar call. While he's still telling the story, Cornelius becomes a Christian. All he did was tell the story. We're witnesses of what we've seen. Sometimes it's simply sharing an invitation. We come to the character of Philip in the Bible, one of my favorites, a disciple of Jesus. Philip had this habit that any time he wanted to tell someone about Jesus and they wanted to push back, his response was the same, come and see. He goes up to Nathaniel and says, I think we found the Messiah, John chapter 1. Nathaniel says, where? From Nazareth. Nathaniel goes, really? You think anything good can come from Nazareth? Philip doesn't say, well, Nazareth's a fine town. Well, why are you so bad about Nazareth? Dude, what's wrong? No, what he said is simply this, come and see. Come with me if you really want to know. If you don't want to know, you can stay where you are. If you want to know, just come and see. It's sharing an invitation. Last Saturday, I was out preaching somewhere on Sunday. I'm checking into a motel Saturday night. A woman is checking me in. Her name is Stalin. Stalin looks at my, my account, and she's like, well, why is your account being paid for by a church? And I say to her, oh, I'm in town for this reason. And then she lets me know that her son died, and she's angry at God. I don't try to suddenly solve the problem of evil for her. All I say to her is, Stalin, do you want to come and see? Would you like to come to church with me tomorrow? Would you like to come and see what God can do? And we had a conversation about that. Very low key. But it's simply an opportunity to say to people, come and see. I'm sharing an invitation. It's also doing what? It's giving people an opportunity. It's giving people an opportunity. I love this story of the Apostle Paul. Everywhere Paul went, he wanted to give people an opportunity, the gospel. Acts 26, Paul is arrested. He's going to jail. He's in jail. He's asked to come before the governor and the king in order to explain himself. He shows up. He's in chains. So you imagine this guy walking up. He's shackled. He's standing before the king of Israel, the governor of Judea. There's going to be soldiers there. 
There's going to be attendants there. Some of those attendants are going to be slaves. He's standing before this whole little court community, right? And he's telling about Jesus. He's telling them, here's what I'm about. Here's what's going on. And when he gets to the part that he believes Jesus rose from the dead, that he actually thinks he's seen the risen Christ, the governor is appalled. He says, your great learning has made you crazy, Paul. And Paul says, well, ask the king. He was in Israel. He's heard about the things that happened. And the king says to Paul, do you think you're going to convince me to become a Christian? And Paul has this beautiful line. He says, oh, king, I wish everyone listening to me right now, from kings to slaves, would become just as I am, except for these chains. Except for these chains, I want you to be where I'm at. Paul was on trial, but he saw it as an opportunity to give people a chance for Jesus. One of my favorite stories, and we're going to end with this. It comes from Stephen in Acts chapter 7. And in this story, Stephen is on trial for his life. Stephen has been charged with blaspheming the temple, that he said something bad about the temple, and now he's going to be killed. Stephen goes before the Sanhedrin, and you have to understand, this is the same group of people that, were put, on, that put Jesus on trial. In fact, this is a few years after the rest, resurrection of Jesus, so these are the exact same group of people, right? Not a new generation, it's the same group. Stephen goes before them. It's the longest sermon in Acts. I'm going to summarize it very quickly. He basically tells them a history of Israel from Abraham to the building of the temple. And he focuses on two characters, Joseph and Moses. And here's what Stephen says. Okay, if I come down here. Okay, good. I'm coming anyway. It's just easier if you agree with me. He says, Joseph. Joseph was a man who was rejected by his brothers, though he was called by God. Because of that, he was in slavery. But God raised Joseph up. He made him the king of Egypt. Now the brothers have a second opportunity to receive Joseph. This time they receive him as a brother, and they're all saved from famine. Moses was a prince in Egypt who was called by God to deliver his people. But the Israelites rejected his rule. Moses had to go into exile. Moses was now a shepherd. But God raised him up. He brought him back to Egypt. He delivered Israel. But Moses rejected his authority again in the wilderness, and that whole generation died. What's the implication? You guys have rejected Jesus once. He came to you a few years ago, a man of miracles, a man of faith, a man who had an identity that you could not see. You have rejected him. You sent him to Pilate. He was crucified, but God has raised him up. What are you going to do with Jesus the second time? In fact, this is how he ends. He says, you tell me I blasphemed the temple, but God has already said no one, God can't live in a house made by human hands. I can't be guilty of blasphemy if the temple wasn't holy to begin with. And the fact that you have a temple didn't stop you from killing any prophets of God. The fact that you have a temple didn't stop you from killing Jesus. What good is the temple? What I'm offering you is God himself. Now here's what happens in the story. Acts chapter 7, and I'm going to begin reading briefly here at verse number 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. 
Now, here's what I think is so amazing. Stephen is standing before the group that already tried Jesus and sent him to his death. Stephen is standing before them. Why? Because in a courtroom, witnesses stand. This is the ancient world. Today, when we think of a witness, we think of someone who's seated. We think of someone who stands, you, you know, hand on the Bible, hand up, you sat down, you give a testimony. In the ancient world, witnesses weren't seated. Everyone else was seated. Witnesses stand. So imagine the room, everyone's seated. Here's the people who are deciding what to do with Stephen. Stephen is the only one in the room standing before them. He looks up to heaven, and he says, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Why that matters is a few years earlier when Jesus was on trial, what was it that cinched everything? What was it that said to them, he's got to go, he's got to go? Jesus said to them, the day will come, Luke 22, the day will come that you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of glory. Now Stephen's saying to the whole group of people, the same bunch, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Throughout Scripture, we understand that Jesus, risen to heaven, Resurrected in a human body, a resurrected body, ascended to God's right hand. He is at the right hand of God, seated, 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 only here. In Acts 7, does Stephen say he's standing? Why? Because this is a courtroom. And in a courtroom, witnesses stand. And we can easily imagine Stephen looking up to heaven on trial for his life. And he sees Jesus at the right hand of God. Jesus looking at Stephen. And what does Jesus do? Jesus stands. Because what did Jesus say? If you testify before others of me, I will testify before God of you. When we witness to Jesus, he witnesses to us. At that moment, Stephen's not looking at this courtroom. At that moment, Stephen is looking at that courtroom. He's failing this one, but he's passing that one. And at that moment, that's when they decide to kill him. Understand, when we bear witness to Jesus, we're not just standing in one court, we're standing in another. Jesus promises us that if you stand for me, I will stand for you. If you bear witness to me, I will bear witness to you. I will testify of you. To deny who Jesus is. How do we deny? Well, we could just be like Peter and say, I don't even know the man. Most of the time, our denial is when the opportunity comes to give someone else an opportunity, we just keep our mouths shut. But here's the thing. When we deny what we know about Jesus, we're not just denying Jesus. We're actually denying ourselves. I'm not a follower. I'm not someone who's going to testify. I don't have the news of what Jesus has done. That's what we're saying. We don't have to convince someone. We don't have to argue with anyone. We don't have to sell someone on the idea of Jesus. All we have to do is tell the story and let them decide whether it's good news to them or not. But when you stand for Jesus, no matter how hard it is, no matter how threatening it feels, Jesus is standing with you. So understand, Jesus stands with his people, and when we stand for Jesus, we're actually standing with Jesus. So I'm going to ask everyone to stand. I'm not going to call you forward here 
Because I'm not concerned about your honesty of God up here. What I want to talk about is your honesty about God out there. So I'm going to close in a word of prayer, and I'm going to dismiss you. And here's my benediction. Go out and be honest about God. Father, I thank you for this community. God, I thank you for their love, their passion, their desire for the things of God. And Lord, I pray that you would provide more opportunities for us to provide more opportunities for others. Help us to carry our faith, not as a challenge, not as a confrontation, but to simply carry it as who we are. Help us to be authentically us so that people can see the authenticity of you. Lord, help us to be honest about you so others can hear the good news. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.